Good morning, Christ Church. Uh, oh, good response. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me here. I've, I've been um, praying for you and this church for uh, maybe close to 15 years uh, now, even as it was just a, an idea and a prayer in my friend uh, Chad Cargo's heart, who planted this church so many years ago. I've, I've been, um, I've, I've, I've preached here a few times over the years, uh, and it's very good to be back this morning, so, so thank you for having me. It's, as some of you know, I've been a pastor for several years, first as a fellow staff member, as Patrick said, um, and an elder at Ecclesia with, with Patrick and with Chad before, uh, then as founding pastor of Redeemer Church in Brenham since 2007. Um, I've also been a part of Better Days Counseling, which many of you are familiar with, uh, for many, many years as a fellow board member with, with Patrick and others and Diana, um, as well as a counselor along with Jeff and Jeremy and so many others. So being here this morning uh, really feels like being with friends and family. So thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very glad to be here. So if you have a copy of Scripture, open with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 40 this morning. I'll give you a bit to turn there. Psalm 40. I came across an article recently written by a woman named Anna Mondel, and Anna is a counselor and a writer living in San Diego, California, and her article was entitled Poetic Soul Care. And this article was about the power of poetry to speak to and transform us, especially in our times of suffering. Her article begins this way, and I think we have it on the screen. She says, I never liked poetry, and maybe some of us already can agree, right? I never liked poetry. What I liked was certainty and clarity. And poetry seemed to me to function like an artsy garnish on a food platter. It was ornamental, inedible, totally pointless. But then she says, I found myself in the abyss. Abuse, illness, post-traumatic stress, it left me reeling. I knew God was real, she writes. He was, he was all light and no darkness. But beyond that, nothing was certain. Nothing was clear to me. And it was in that abyss, she says, that she learned to love poetry. She continues, she says this, Suffering blasts us like a hand grenade. It dizzies us, it disorients us, it deafens us. It can be difficult to absorb truth when your pain is screaming. Can anybody identify? When your ears are ringing. But poetry, she says, is like a covert frequency. It's like a secret skylight. Poems are, and here she's quoting uh, poet and Anglican priest Malcolm Guyton. She says, Poets, poems are points of light that reveal or clarify something otherwise hidden or obscured. Suffering often leads us to the poetic because poetry, often more than prose, hits us somewhere deeper. It somehow gives us words or at least helps us interpret our complex emotions when we don't know what we're really feeling or why, when we feel lost or we feel unsure or hurt or vulnerable. Now, I'd venture to guess that, that many of us here identify with what Anna said, that poetry often seems pointless, right? It seems like a garnish on a food platter, ornamental, inedible. Poetry books are rarely bestsellers, right? And yet this is one of the primary ways 
that God chose to speak to his people. And it continues, 30% of the Bible, and that's probably actually a low estimate, 30% of the Bible is poetry. One third of God's word is written not just to give us information, but to evoke imagination in us, ignite emotion, to play with rhythm. The first time a human speaks in the Bible, it's Adam when he sees Eve for the first time and he, re- he responds with poetry, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When God's people celebrated their liberation from Egypt, they burst into song with rich, poetic language. When they are oppressed in exile, they turn to the lyrics of lament, as we see in the Psalms. And when Mary miraculously mothers the Messiah, she expresses her wonder through the Magnificat. And on and on and on. God speaks to us through poetry. At many points in our lives, we, we can either offer nor receive certainty or clarity either because our joy is too great in that moment or because our suffering is too deep in that moment. And not only does God speak to us so often through poetry, but we too need the poetic and the evocative language to communicate our hearts to God. Sometimes we don't have the words, and the psalms, the poetry of the psalms helps us. And this is what we see this morning in Psalm 40, the use of poetry to convey something deeper, something much more profound than prose might allow. So let me read this for us from Psalm 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. It says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then verse 7, I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. He will not restrain his lips, and the Lord will not restrain his mercy. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. And so be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. But let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. 
In verse 16, here's how he closes. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, the psalmist says, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. God, we do pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word. God, we thank you that you are present with us in our suffering, God, in our joy. You are with us. You are for us. And God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can see in your Bible, um, there's a superscription there, this line at the top before the psalm begins. And it says that the Psalm 40 is to the choir master, a psalm of David. Almost 80% of the 150 psalms in our Bible have some sort of superscription. They often give clues as to what's happening in the psalmist's life when he writes this psalm. There's no real clues here, but we do get a clear sense that things are not going well for the psalmist. You you can see in verse 12, the psalmist writes, For evils have encompassed me beyond number, my iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, my heart fails within me. This, This, I think, this verse 12, it seems, is the psalmist's current predicament. And as is the case uh, frequently in the Psalms and frequently with us, the problems are really a mix between the evils out there in the world and the evils in here, inside of us. The psalmist doesn't really go into detail, but it seems like he's dealing with both external enemies and the internal enemy of his own sin. He's dealing with people out there who want to take him down, people who want to hurt him, people who want to humiliate him. The problems and evils of this world are closing in around the psalmist. And then he's also dealing with his own sin and iniquity. He's aware of his own struggle. He's aware of his own weakness and vulnerability. And it's clouding his judgment. That's what he says. That's such a powerful verse there in verse 12. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. I feel blinded. It seems like in this moment, he is utterly lost. And what does he do in this current predicament with enemies on the outside and enemies within? The psalmist writes a poem. That's how he responds. And he shows us his thought process while in the midst of the crisis. Verse 12 really describes his current predicament, his current miserable state, but the poem doesn't start there. In his, in his pain, in his confusion, with the problems closing in around him, his own sin wrecking him from the inside, the psalmist looks back and he says, as he's, as he's looking back over the course of his life, I, before I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard me. He inclined to me. He drew me from the pit out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. In other words, and maybe you found yourself there, in other words, the psalmist is saying, I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of this current predicament. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this particular crisis or suffering, but this isn't the first time my life has felt out of control. This isn't the first time that I felt like things were falling apart. 
And as I look back, I remember not only what I was experiencing then, what I, what I felt then before, but I also remember that God delivered me, that he was faithful to me. And the psalmist describes his problem in very vivid, poetic language. He says, I was in a pit. I was in a, a pit of destruction. I was in a miry bog. I felt, I felt trapped. I felt beaten. I was confused. I couldn't, I couldn't see my way out. I was, I was helpless within it. I couldn't get out on my own. I was hopeless. Robert Alter, who's a professor of Hebrew at UC Berkeley, he translates this phrase, a pit of destruction, um, as a pit of noise, which I think is an interesting rendering. The image here is of waves just crashing down over you, one after another. You can't get up, you can't even think, wave after wave after wave, crashing down on your head, all you hear is chaos. David is saying, I remember a time in my life when I, I'm, in a, I'm in a crisis now, but when I look back over my life, I remember a time where I couldn't even see the way up. It felt like wave after wave was crashing in around me. This is amazing poetic language. It's more effective than saying, I was really confused, right? The poetry is important. It's the metaphor that sticks. The psalmist says, I was, I was trapped in this, this pit of noise, this slimy hole, and I couldn't get out on my own. And even as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, can, can any of us relate? I think probably, of course, we can. And in fact, I think unless, unless we're relatively young or um, extraordinarily fortunate or maybe just hopelessly arrogant or unaware, at some point, right, we found ourselves in a pit that we couldn't get out of on our own. And in that pit, the psalmist says, helpless, hopeless, he waited which is really not the answer we want to hear, is it? He said, the scripture says he, he waited. It actually says he waited and waited and waited. The words there are repeated for emphasis. It, it would, something like this. Um, I waited patiently, literally. In waiting, I just waited and waited. That's the idea. One commentator noted that this phrase might be better understood as simply, I waited tensely for the Lord. I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I don't, I can't do anything else other than wait, I, because I feel powerless in this moment. But in the waiting, the psalmist said, God saved me. He, he inclined to me. He heard my cry. The, the image I, I see is like God getting on his belly, as it were, and reaching down into the pit and scooping the psalmist up pulling him out. He, the psalmist is saying, he, he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He, he lifted me from the waves crashing down upon me over and over and over again, from destruction, from the slime, from the hole I was in, and he put me on a rock. What evocative language. He, he steadied my feet when I felt like I would never be steady again. I felt like I may never gain sure footing, and yet he put me on this rock. And more than that, he put a song in my mouth. Writer and preacher A.P. Gibbs used to put it this way, out of the mire and into the choir. And that's probably what you'll remember this morning because it's poetry. You see what the psalmist is doing here. He's reminding himself 
of a time when he was rescued from a previous suffering and given a new song. There are things that we go through in this life that when we're on the other side, give us brand new reasons to praise. And so we had to go through those seasons of disorientation to reach the seasons of new orientation. God reveals and heals wounds maybe we didn't know we had or didn't know we carried for so long. God teaches us dependence through a painful bankruptcy or carries us through the wreckage of divorce or he demonstrates his his peace producing power in our lives in an unexpected illness or tragedy. We, we, we go through life and sometimes we suffer in deep and transformative ways and God meets us there. He, he comes down, as it were, to, to pull us out of the pit or to pull us through the suffering. And on the other side, we have new words of thanks, deeper songs of dependence, unanticipated gratitude, or simply a new perspective on what seemed like hopelessness. And in the midst of his current suffering, the psalmist looks back and remembers that God not only saved me from my crisis, he used it to change me for the better. Let me ask you this, church. What do you need a new song about this morning? Does your marriage need a new song? Do your kids need a new song? Does your relationship with God need a new song? Do you need a new song about how you view yourself? Do you need a new song about your past? Do you need a new song about your future? What pit are you in this morning? What are, what are you crying out for? Do you even know? And who are you crying to? Some of us have spent our whole lives digging our own pits. And we've fallen right in. Some of us have, have, are, are in a pit and we have no idea how we got there. Some of us, because of, an abuse, of abuse or neglect or the sin committed against us, we've been thrown in the pit. Maybe like Joseph. Some of us are just maybe realizing that we've been in a pit for years. And Psalm 40 comforts us. The psalmist says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. God, God has multiplied his wondrous deeds and his, his thoughts and his plans towards us. Nothing can compare to him. So all the things that I'm looking at and evaluating and measuring and judging and feeling overwhelmed by, none of that can compare to his goodness, his mercy, his plans and thoughts towards us. The Lord hears our cries and respond. Can you consider just for a moment how transformative that might be for you if you believed it? This is the psalmist's plea. And it's not just the psalmist's plea for himself, but really for all of God's people. So that many, you can see there in verse 3, he kind of repeats this idea a few times. So that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The psalmist will pro proclaim and tell the great congregation. He'll, he'll hold nothing back. He'll, he'll sing the good news, the songs of deliverance. 
And when he says he'll hold nothing back, that's difficult, right? Because in telling the story of God getting you out of a pit, you have to admit that you were in a pit to begin with. And that's not an easy thing to do. Maybe God resurrected your marriage after a spouse was unfaithful. Maybe God delivered you from an alcohol or drug or shopping addiction. Maybe God cared for you after serious financial mismanagement or after you were convicted of a crime. Or maybe after you were abused or betrayed or humiliated. The psalmist says, I will not restrain my lips. He'll share that story. And of course, if you think of David himself, he had his own story to tell, both the things that he did, like adultery and murder, just to name a few, but also the things that he experienced, like betrayal and wayward children, like deep depression and crippling anxiety. The psalmist says, I'll I'll name my pain and also your promises. And he ends the psalm with such beautiful honesty and hope. He says in verse 17, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner refers to this as a self-forgetful joy. So the psalmist is saying, yes, I, I, am, I understand my current predicament. I am poor and needy, but you. You see the term? But you, but you, but you, oh Lord, you are my help and my deliverance, a self-forgetful joy. The psalm begins with, I waited patiently for you, oh Lord, and then ends with, but don't delay I trust you, God, right? But please come quickly. This is a sort of patient impatience. The psalmist acknowledges in verse 6 that getting out of this pit for him will involve more than continued sacrifices and offerings. He says there in verse 6, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. And he says there in 7 and 8, behold, I I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. It's interesting because as you make your way to the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews picks this story up in Hebrews chapter 10, and instead of quoting uh, the psalmist, he attributes these words in Psalm 40 to Jesus, and I think I'll have this on the screen, Hebrews 10 verses 5 through 7, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure, and then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the book of the scroll. I've, I've had days like that too, right? I, I feel for the kid. He doesn't say the psalmist said, right? He doesn't say David said. He says, as Jesus said. You can see maybe the words, if you're kind of a keen reader, you've noticed that when the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalms, he's actually using different words. That in Psalm 40, it says, you have given me an open ear. But here in Psalm, in Hebrews 10, it says, a body you have prepared for me. 
This is actually a, a Greek writer trying to make sense of a Hebrew idiom. He's quoting the Psalms, but he's using different words. To say, open my ear, to have an open ear implies hearing or obedience, giving, giving yourself over to another. And so what Scripture is teaching us here is that it was this, this descendant of David, Jesus, who ultimately provided what God demanded, the only thing that could really ever get us out of the pit of our own lives. Not merely a continuation of offerings and sacrifices, but his body given over as this final sacrifice given once and for all in accordance with his Father's will. The writer of Hebrews goes on in, in verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This may be for us, some of us, in our pit, trying to make our offerings, make our sacrifices, make amends, make things right, work harder, just be better, and we can never quite reach the top. We find ourselves in a pit from which we cannot get out on our own. It says, but when Christ came, when Christ had offered for all time a, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Not only does God incline his ear to us, not only does he hear us and deliver us from the miry pits of this world, he descended into that ultimate pit of death for us to give us life in paradise forever. Or it says in the, in the final book of the Bible that we will sing a new song for eternity. Worthy are you because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed your people from every tribe and every language every people and every nation, worthy is the Lamb. This information is not given merely as truth, but as beautiful poetry. And so my prayer for you this morning, my invitation for you, is that knowing and believing and singing this poem of Psalm 40 will transform you. Not only by giving you language of lament while in the midst of suffering, but also a, a vision for what life could be with, with solid rock under your feet and a new song in your heart, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are a God who speaks. And God, we come to you this morning as, as sinful people, God, we come identifying with the psalmist. God, that we feel the chaos out there in the world. God, we feel the chaos inside in our own hearts. And so, God, our plea is that you would forgive us. God, that you would pull us out of our pit. God, that we would, God, that we would hear you, that we would cry to you, that we would trust you, that we would wait on you to respond. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work that you're doing among this people. God, I pray blessings on them. I pray they would get a sense even this morning, even as, they, as we continue to sing and worship and pray together. 
that you are here with us, that you are here for us, God, that you love us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.